We interrupt the start of this podcast to bring you exciting trade news. No one has yet traded for me to become their broadcaster or public address announcer. That is all. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast already in progress. You're listening to the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. This podcast is a part of Overtime Heroics. Join the forums for free at OvertimeHeroics.com. And the Rise Up Podcast Community. Bit.ly slash community. Welcome to another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Opening theme from Music Radio Creative. Visit the LeeWMallon.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Now for our host, Lee W. Mowen. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so happy you could attend. Come inside, come inside. But enough about musical references, let's get on with the show. As you baseball fans might know, today is the trade deadline. Why am I doing a podcast episode when there's still a full day of trade deadline stuff that could happen? I don't know. I might be stupid, but there you go. So if anything happens after I upload the podcast, we'll talk about episode 109. This is episode 108, by the way, as you can tell by the title on some of the platforms. Anyway, there was the trade. Actually, there was a bunch of trades last night, but the one that affected Southwest Ohio the most and Northeast Ohio, if I might add, the three-team trade between the Cincinnati Reds, the Cleveland Indians, and the San Diego Padres. Here's the trade. The Reds pick up Trevor Bauer, and the Reds send out their number one prospect in Taylor Trammell to San Diego, and to Cleveland, another prospect in left-hander Scott Moss and Yasiel Puig. San Diego will ship out Franmil Reyes, number seven prospect in their farm system, Logan Allen, and infielder Victor Nova to Cleveland. I tell you, there's a lot of ways you can look at this trade. I know there was a lot of sadness on the trading out of Puig, but the Reds do add an important arm in their starting rotation. That's a big thing, too. If you look, Tanner Roark and Alex Wood... Might be gone after 2019. Of course, they could sign contracts with the Reds and stay, but this is their last year in Cincy in terms of the current contract. With Bauer, you add a solid pitcher, and he still has another year of control as well. Whereas the Reds shipping out number one prospect Taylor Trammell, that's a tough one. I mean, I really enjoyed seeing Taylor Trammell as a Dayton Dragon. But this year, he was having a tougher year in Chattanooga. That's the double-A club of the Reds. I I don't know if things would have went better. I mean, foresight is twenty twenty. We look back on next year, and who knows? Left-hander Scott Moss, that one, mm, that one was tough. Moss was, Moss was good. 
Solid left-handed pitcher, dominant in Dayton. But the one thing I'll give the Reds front office credit for is they're pushing the chips forward. It might not be this year. It might be 2020 where the Reds go for it all. But I do like what the Reds have brought in. I'm just questioning if Trammell and Moss and Puig were too heavy of a price to get the right-hander. I mean, with Puig, pretty tough start to the year. Was starting to even out. Friendly face. <laughs> a character in the clubhouse. I, I always like Yasiel Puig coming to Cincinnati. And yes, it's tough seeing him gone. But Reds thought that's what they had to do. So we'll see how the dice rolls for the Reds. This article is from MLBTradeRumors.com. You can also download their free Trade Rumors app on App Store and Google Play. This is talking about the trade, which I heard on the Reds broadcast, middle of the 8th last night, right after that big Cincinnati-Pittsburgh clash. And this is written by Connor Byrne today. Central time, that'd be 5.13 here east. Is there one back? Is that how time works? Sure, that's how time works. The dust has settled on a stunning three-team trade. Cincinnati outfitter Yasiel Puig he got traded during that brawl with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Not the first time Cincinnati and Pittsburgh have brawled, but we'll get to that a little bit later. There was an interesting little article. I mentioned that Bauer in that starting rotation. Now you got Castillo, Sonny Gray, DeSclafani, who's pitching much better as of late, Tyler Maui. I mean, that might be a really solid rotation in 2020. And not to mention, you know, you got Roark and Wood this year, and I did like Wood's first appearance as a Red. But they're only here until 2019. Possibly in another trade, which, no, I'm not stalling to see if there's any more trades happening to the Reds. So I can say, I'm first. But there you go. I mentioned I'm stupid doing one, uh, an episode on my podcast on trade deadline day, but, eh. Bowers 28. Quality, a bit somewhat frustrating starters since entering the pro ranks as the third overall pick of the Diamondbacks back in 2011. Went to Cleveland in a three-team trade back in 2012, which also involved the Reds. And since his ERA in Cleveland, 3.89 ERA, across 1,044 and a third innings, 170 starts, 10 appearances out of the bullpen, earned Cy Young consideration last year. Not as effective in 2019, but his numbers are still pretty dynamite. ERA... 3.79, and there's other couple numbers there with a league-leading 156 and two-thirds innings. Now, of course, with Trevor Bauer, you're going to get, you know, a personality as well. I don't agree with his politics views, but hey, that's okay because you can, you know, you can like people and not agree with them. That's fine. It's called opinions. Everyone's got them. I mean, with the Indians starting pitching, Bauer was kind of the odd man out. 
I mean, if Kluber comes back to form, I mean, Carrasso, Clevenger, also Shane Bieber, which I got to see with Lake County. And I remember the time when he was with Lake County, his pronunciation guide, his pronunciation key was like Justin. At the same time, they also had a player named Dalbert Siri, like the Apple device. Or no, like your iPhone, that's what it was. <laughs> His final appearance with Cleveland, he threw a ball into center field. Oh, I'm sorry. Not into center field, over the center field fence from the mound. He was frustrated, I get that. I think Bauer will do nicely in Cincinnati. Someone mentions the point. I forget who it is, so if you said it, I'm sorry, but you said it first, not me. Someone mentioned that the Indians really did take the Bauer. And the Reds, are they going to be able to do that? Well, time will tell. It's going to be interesting to see Trevor Bauer's first start in Cincinnati. And his on-field tantrum, as the article continues, didn't have an adverse effect on his trade value. The Indians are bringing back a major haul for Bauer. I mentioned, you know, three prospects from San Diego, one from Cincinnati. And currently, the Indians have the top wildcard spot and trail the Twins now by two and a half at this juncture. Also helps the Indians shave a little bit of salary from the 2020 books, in case you're interested in it. Puig, his contract ends in 2019, so the Indians don't have much time with him unless they sign him in the offseason or during the season. But assuming that no, it doesn't happen, Puig will be an Indian for the rest of the 2019 season. He's got a salary of $9.7 million, but that is an important bat. If you look at it, the Indians' big struggle isn't really pitching. It's been hitting the offense. You know, now heating up. Bubba Puig got a solid outfielder, and he got another bat to put in the lineup. Now slashing 252. I mean, it took Puig a while to get his first hit in Cincinnati. Puig has been quite nice as of late. 22 home runs, 14 stolen bases. By the way, with Cleveland picking up a couple of names, Fran Mill Reyes and Yasiel Puig, they now lead the Indians with home runs. I believe it was Carlos Santana that led the Indians tribe with home runs until, you know, the trade. So, that's a big arm for Cincinnati. I like that aspect. Puig will help the Indians. I mean, Cleveland has been on some type of tear. It's going to be interesting to see the Twins and the Indians do battle here. I did like the Indians fans taking very kindly to Puig (laughs) during that Cincinnati-Pittsburgh fight. You know, Ohio hates Pittsburgh. There you go. Also added into the article, they're getting three less established players in Allen, Nova, and Moss. Allen's 22 years old, like I mentioned, number seven prospect in San Diego's farm system. Came into the season as a top 100 caliber prospect. That's pretty dynamite considering how many people play minor league baseball but since then he struggled in a 25 and a third inning major league sample and also 57 and two thirds innings with 
El Paso in AAA ball in the hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League. Still highly regarded in what is to be described as a jam-packed Padre system. Padres have a really good farm system. I don't think it's as good as Tampa Bay's, but it's pretty dynamite. Although Fort Wayne is currently last place in the Midwest League in the second half. But man, it seems like Fort Wayne is just the Teenage Mutant Ninja Tin Caps. I wish they had a promo for that. I wish someone would tell him I said that, but there you go. Talks a little bit about Victor Nova, 19 years old. Not grouped in with the Padres' premier farmhands, but an interesting bat-first flyer. Where in rookie ball, Victor Nova is batted 330 with seven steals. And Moss is talked about too. His first experience in double-A ball, 102 innings, 3.44 ERA. Just walked over five hitters per nine and was the Reds' number 12 overall prospect, according to MLB.com. It notes he's got a somewhat limited ceiling. But he could be a good long relief guy, back end starting rotation guy. I was hoping to see Moss and Trammell as Reds, but like I mentioned, you gotta give the front office a little credit for rolling the dice and pushing the chips forward. Will it work out? That's for us to watch. And that concludes the trade. Will there be any more trades? I mentioned Wood and Roark. They're not scheduled to stay in Cincinnati past this season. Will they? I don't know. I wish I had that insider information. Then I'd go down, buy a lottery ticket, and get money. There you go. I did see Fran Mill Reyes as a Fort Wayne Tim Cap. Very solid player. Don't remember if I saw Logan Allen in Fort Wayne. I probably did. Like I mentioned, I watched Taylor Tomell and Scott Moss as Dragons, and they did quite well in Dayton. And like I mentioned, Yasiel Puig, yes, that stings. I, I like Puig. I like Puig having that, I don't want to say lightheartedness, but that's why I'm going to use subscribe him. It just, things were fun. And it was a very, it's very entertaining dugout. And before you yell at me saying, well, he lacks pace and not doing well. It's not always about the numbers. You know? Yes, Puig turned it around. He's now batting 252, like I mentioned in the article. I I really did like the uh, chemistry that Puig brought to the Cincinnati team. Will he come back for 2020? Again, I don't know. Foresight's 2020. It'd be nice if he did, but We'll see. So, the Reds are now getting Trevor Bauer. And I think his next start is coming up soon. I think it's it's definitely after the Pittsburgh series. And just a quick update from MLBTradeRumors.com. There's still nothing from the Reds. It's a pretty big trade, but I have this feeling in the bottom of my gut that I'm hungry, and I feel like there's another trade coming in Cincinnati's way. Who will it entail? Tune in next week. And now we dive into Mowen's Mailbag. It's time for Mowen's Mailbag. 
the segment where you can ask questions and interact with the podcast. Send in your future questions on Twitter at GemOnQueenCrown or at the Lee W. Mowen or on Facebook at the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast page. Theme music is provided by Music Radio Creative at musicradiocreative.com. We got one today in the Mowen's mailbag. By one, I mean one that was sent in after I got done recording episode 107. But this is from Nate Stidham, my good friend and broadcaster up in Northwest Ohio. And he asks, with so much anticipation for Nick Noldolo's Dragon's debut tonight, keep in mind this has been, you know, last week and I didn't get to an episode 107. I'm sorry. Anyway, who have you looked forward to seeing making their debut in Dayton the most? Nate, that's an excellent question. And it's one that I had to think about for a little bit, too. In fact, I had to go back and do a little research from MWLarchives.com. It's a wonderful website if you're curious about the Midwest League, its growth, and frankly, there's a lot of teams that you might not know about. There's a lot of teams I didn't know about either. I will start saying this. When I started really following the Dragons was 2011. That's also the first year I started working for the Dragons. Now, before I started, I, I was aware of the Dragons, and, you know, I, I I was quite aware of them. And there was that one year in 2010, I believe, Todd Benzinger was the manager, and the Dragons went through a 35 home game losing stretch. It was tough. But 2011 was pretty much the year I started really following Dragons baseball. And I, I still don't know if I have a good answer for that. This might be a stall tactic. You'll never know. Uh, I always look forward to seeing what the Reds draft and make their way through. I mean, Jonathan India, I was pretty excited for. Nixon Zell, that was probably one of the lone bright spots of that near 100 loss season back in 2016. That was a rough season. But Nixon Zell made a little better. I mean... 2017, that outfield was rocking. That, that was a great Dragons team. It's just a shame that in the second round of the playoffs, the Dragons couldn't get one home win to put themselves the first time ever in Dayton in the Midwest League title game. Uh, of course, call-ups did affect that Dragons team. and But hey, every team goes through that. It was tough, but... The 2017 team is probably one of my favorite ones. I <laughs> I still don't know. TJ Friedel was one. It wasn't like, you know, number one draft pick or anything. But it was a case that was interested in seeing. And, and Friedel did well with the Dragons. That was probably one of my favorite Dragons that year. You also had Taylor Trammell on that team. Funny we come back to Taylor Trammell in the same sentence. I mean, that team was pretty pretty dynamite. And that's probably one of the few names, TJ Friedel, that I really look forward to. Stuart Fairchild, last year's team. Dragons, okay in 2018. Never, you know, never, I don't know, top tier, but not bottom tier either. Looking through some of the other names too, because let's be honest, there is a ton 
ton of names back from the Dragons. I love seeing Amir Garrett. I don't know if I was expecting him in Dayton, per se. I just like seeing Amir Garrett, especially every start he'd scratch a giant A on the mound. I wish he did that in Cincinnati when he came out of the bullpen. It might not be allowed to, but still, that was great. I'd have to pick Hunter Green as well. First round draft pick back in 2017, 18 years of age. I mean, tough start for Green, but he rebounded nicely. And then the whole thing happened where he's not pitching this year and probably not until sometime 2020. But I I always enjoyed getting to see Hunter Green pitch. There's a lot of names in this Dragons team that I was always excited. Ty Boyles would be another name I'd throw out there. And not because, you know, high draft picked. He was an 11th rounder in 2013. Came to Dayton 2015, 2016, 2017. Big left-hander. And I remember the game that Boyles pitched against the West Michigan Whitecaps, which be Detroit Tigers affiliate. I remember where West Michigan did nothing but bunt at him. And he turned all of those bunts, I think there was like seven or eight attempts, and turned them all into one-three putouts. I think their scouting report said, Bunt at Boyles. He can't get this. He's a big boy. Well, he got all of them. So, ha. But I like seeing Ty Boyles pitch. Going back to the question, make sure, you know, I'm not just rattling off names like, ooh. Their debut in Dayton. Sincel India are probably big two names. Tyler Stevenson is another name. That I throw out there. I feel like I saw Robert Stevenson in Dayton back in 2011, if I remember correctly. So those are a couple names that I'll throw out there. Scott Moss, I was pretty excited to see as well. I'll even throw two more names in there. Connor Ryan and Ryan Campbell. High draft picks? No. But I was excited because I've announced them for their members, former members of the UIC Flames, a conference foe of Wright State. When I see names I have announced, I get excited. It's like, hey, I announced you over there, over there, depending on, you know, where I've seen them, UD or Wright State. Not to throw off the topic, but I saw a sad piece of transaction news where Beloit slash Oakland let go of Logan Farrar who was a former Virginia Commonwealth Ram. And yes, I saw him two years with VCU at UD. Like I mentioned, if I see a name that I've announced and got to witness in person up close, it makes me happy. It makes me excited. It's like, hey, they can go to the majors. Some pan out, some don't. That's a big thing about minor leagues. You can be the highest prospect and you still might not pan out. I guess I'm going to go ahead and pick those two names, Sinzel and India. Thank you, Nate, for the awesome question. And if you would like to ask a question for me to answer on Malin's Mailbag, hit me up on Twitter, either at Gem on Queen Crown or at the Lee W. Malin, and reply or DM me a question. Or if you know me on Facebook, go ahead and ask one there via comment or messenger update. I guess it'd be a message, but shut up. 
You can use that new Flick Chat app that I've uh, talked about. Download for free. Join the local Sunday sports group. There's a thread there. You can ask questions, and I'll answer them. Of course, if they're appropriate. Or if you know my cell phone number, you can text me a question. Sure, that works too, but I'm not giving out my cell phone number. And now we move back to the baseball diamond and tell you about the Cincinnati Reds and the Dayton Dragons. We'll start off with Cincinnati. They got a game in a little over an hour at Great American Ballpark. It's the rubber match between the 47 and 60 Pittsburgh Pirates and the 49 and 56 Cincinnati Reds. You can pick it up on radio around the Cincinnati area. 700 is how I listen to games. It will be Dario Agrizal. Agrizal? 2 and 1, 3.24 ERA, 13 strikeouts for number 67. And the little preview, it mentions he had his first MLB growing pains against the Mets last Friday, allowing five runs and five and a third and giving up three home runs, which snapped a streak of four straight quality starts, which in stats terms, that's six innings, three runs or less. But the rookie can get back on the horse against the Reds. Opposite of Luis Castillo, the right-hander is 9-4 with a 2.71 ERA and 144K. That is so much K. Castillo's coming off one of his worst starts in 2019 where he allowed a season-high six earned runs over five innings to the Rockies on Friday. It would be the only game that the Reds would lose in that series. Hitters were aggressive early in counts and were ready for early fastballs, two of which were slugged for home runs. I think Castillo will rebound, and I think we might have ourselves a very nice pitching matchup. Your lineups for Pittsburgh. Batting first is second baseman Adam Frazier. Brian Reynolds, the right fielder, bats second. Starling Marte in center field, batting third. First baseman Josh Bell cleans up. Left fielder Melky Cabrera bats fifth. Colin Moran, the six-hole batter at third base. Shortstop Kevin Newman bats seventh. And Newman slugging a very nice average of 313 with six home runs. Elias Diaz does the catching, 249 average. And Dario Agrizal will bat ninth and do the pitching. For Cincinnati, Jesse Winker leads off in right field, followed by first baseman Joey Votto. Eugenio Suarez, the third baseman, bats third, followed by cleanup batter and second baseman Scooter Jeanette. Batting fifth is left fielder Josh Van Meter, followed by center fielder Nick Senzel. Jose Iglesias, he's really done a nice job this year. Great pickup by the Reds. I mentioned it in previous episodes. I'll keep mentioning it until the season ends. Batting 280 is Iglesias. He'll play short. He'll bat seventh. Batting eighth, fresh off the IL, is catcher Tucker Barnhart. And batting nine for Cincinnati, pitcher Luis Castillo. And that's your starting lineups. Again, starts in about an hour. I'll probably turn on the radio when I go do errands to listen to it. Once I get out from doing the podcast. Like I mentioned, the Reds, a couple games under 500, 49-56. That would be seven back of the 500 line. But you got to admit, baseball is interesting again in Cincinnati. And it's quite nice, too. It's nice we're not focused just on the Bengals, which 
we'll cover after the break. It's nice that, you know, people are still talking about the Reds. We now dive in the standings as St. Louis has flown to first place at 57-49, a game up on the Chicago Cubs at 56-50. Third place in the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers, 56-52. They're only two back of St. Louis and one spot of a wild card clinching. Cincinnati in fourth place in the Central, 49-56. Seven and a half back of first, six and a half out of wild card spot. And in fifth place, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 47 and 60, 10 and a half back and nine and a half out of a wild card and one and nine in the last 10. Tell you the leaders of the NL East and West. Atlanta leads the East by five and a half over Washington. Braves are 63 45 and the Nats are 57 50. And in the West is the LA Dodgers. They're only 15 games up on the Recently hot, recently coming at you, San Francisco Giants. The Dodgers are 17-39, and San Fran has climbed out of the basement, and now 54-53. and That's amazing. It might not lead to a playoff spot for San Fran, but you got to admire the streak that they've had. In the American League, the Yankees still lead the East by 7.5 over Tampa Bay at 67-39. The Central, the Twins lead over the Indians by 3 at 65-41. And in the West, it's the Houston Astros up 8 games over Oakland. The Astros are 69-39. and It feels like there's not much time left in the baseball season when, in fact, it goes through September. Can the Reds get... A wild card spot. That's a big hole to jump out of six and a half with a pretty packed race for the NL wild card spots. It would be the wild card teams of Washington and a tiebreaker between the Cubs and Philadelphia. The Nationals are a half game up on that situation. Followed by Milwaukee, San Francisco, Arizona, the New York Mets. The San Diego Padres, the Cincinnati Reds, the Colorado Rockies, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Miami Marlins. In case you're wondering about the AL wildcard situation, it's Cleveland, then Oakland, followed by Tampa Bay, who's only a half game out, Boston, who's two games out, five and a half back are the LA Angels of LA, Texas, White Sox of Chicago, Seattle, Toronto, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Detroit in the basement. 31 and 72 are the Tigers. That is rough. And now we dive into the standings of the Midwest League second half. Great Lakes and Lake County, they've already clinched spots in the first half. They don't need to worry about clinching spots in the second half. That's not how the Midwest League works. Neither does Quad Cities and Cedar Rapids. Your standings in the East, Bowling Green has a firm grip. Of first place, but only by three games against South Bend. Bowling Green 23 and 14, South Bend 20 and 17. And Lansing has slipped a little bit, 18 19. They're now five back of first place and two back of a wild card spot, which South Bend currently holds. Dayton seven back at 16 21, a marvelous performance last night, which we'll talk about in just a sec. But seven back of first, and that would be four back of a wild card spot. West Michigan, 14-23, nine back of first, and six of the wild card. And in eighth place, I know I mentioned that 
Great Lakes and Lake County can't play the spot, so it'd be sixth place technically. Fort Wayne, 13-24, 10 back of first and seven back of their in-state rival, the Cubs of South Bend. In the West, in case you're curious, Kane County in first place, they leapfrogged over Clinton with a series win, a four-game series win over the Lumber Kings. Both Kane County and Clinton will get into the season ended today. Clinton has a wild card spot and a game back of Kane County. Lurking for the wild card spot, four back of the WC and five back of first, Wisconsin, Burlington, 10 back, Beloit, 11 back, Peoria, 14 back. And the Chiefs have finally climbed out of the single digit win mark in the second half. They now have 11. Rough half for Peoria. Although Peoria first half wasn't too bad. They did sweep the Dayton Dragons at Dozer Park. So last night's Dragons game, I mentioned on Twitter, follow me at the Lee W. Mallon, I mentioned on Twitter that there were a pair of first-rounders pitching for both Dayton and Bowling Green. And I mentioned that it was going to be heck of a showcase. Lodolo lasted four innings. And Libertor, the left-hander and first-round pick from last year for Tampa Bay, went two innings, faced two batters in the third, and ended up taking the loss to go to 6-2 and two on the season. Dragons really, really did a nice job against Libertor, and it's not me, you know, swinging up anything. I really thought the Dragons did a great job attacking Libertor and really keeping the foot on the pedal. I mean, six runs against the top team in the East, Bowling Green, who almost clinched a playoff spot in the first half. I think they were only out by... Did they lose via tiebreaker? Or were they one game out of wildcard? What matters is, Matthew Libertor coming into that match with Dayton, 6-1, and one, and his ERA was under three. He loaded the bases up in the first inning... He got a fly out to leave three. But then the Dragons, the next time they load him up, they got some runs. In fact, the Dayton Dragons, although they left 15 on base, they did bring home six. Now, of course, if it's a loss, you look at that, it's like, ew. Why would you, why would you say it's a good thing, leaving 15 on the base pads? Well, he got 12 hits to coax out of it, and six runs. That's not, that's not too terrible. And this is not in any way me stalling trying to get the box score to load. Come on, Internet, do your thing better. You got Connor Curlis going tonight for Dayton. It's a four-game series. And for those Wright State baseball fans, unfortunately, Caleb Sampin, unless it's an emergency or bullpen relief duty, Sampin will not be pitching for Bowling Green. He started the game before. In fact, Tampa Bay, their TV broadcast brought up Caleb Sampin and him rocking single A with an 8-4 record. And last time he pitched here in Dayton, he threw seven shutout innings, and he was pretty untouchable. Like I mentioned, if I if I get to announce baseball players, either Wright State or Dayton, whether for the home Raiders or Flyers or other squads, it, it makes me excited, and it finally loaded. Hooray. Six runs on 12 hits for Dayton, one run on five hits for Bowling Green, and the Hot Rod struck first in the first, but that was it. Lodolo, I mentioned, went four innings, and in case you're wondering, why didn't he only go four? Did he, you know, stink or something? No. 
did give up that earned run off a double off a of former Lake County captain, Ruben Cardenas. He was involved in the trade between Cleveland and Tampa Bay. But did a very nice job. Lodolo has thrown 18 in the third innings during his very brief professional career. Still has yet to issue a walk. I think that's pretty dynamite. Now, because he didn't go five, he can't qualify for his first win yet. But he did quite well. Now, replacing Lodolo was another left-hander in Andy Fisher. He went to school at the University of Illinois and did quite well. And he's doing quite well with Dayton. Fun thing about Fisher, not drafted because his fastball doesn't get into the 90s. But his control is stunning. He did give up hits number two and three with Dayton. And now, what, four appearances, three appearances? He earned his first win, tossed four scoreless innings to Andy Fisher. Two hits, no walks, three Ks. And Fisher has now worked 12 innings with one unearned run. That was that extra innings lost, the first one, I believe, against Great Lakes. Because in Midwest League, I'm pretty sure it's for all minor league leagues now, possibly. If I'm wrong, shout out me at the normal address. You start with a runner at second base to begin extra innings, and it's not an earned run against the pitcher, because pitcher didn't do that. That's rules. So, there you go. Clyde Schmidt pitched a perfect ninth inning, but good pitching all around for Dayton. Fisher took the win, still no ERA to speak of, but now one and one. Matthew Libertor, like I mentioned, took the loss six and two, and his ERA has ballooned up to 3.25. Home runs, well, Gordon hit his third. That was a nice shot into right for the Dayton Dragons outfielder. Also, you might have seen on Twitter, if you follow the Dragons at Dragons Baseball, that Siani had a dandy of a defensive catch. He leaped into the air and robbed an extra base hit from Bowling Green against Russ Olive, who is the first baseman for the Hot Rods. Beautiful, beautiful catch. The play was shown during the Reds telecast on Tuesday night on Fox Sports Ohio. This is from the Dayton Dragons uh, postgame wrap by Tom Nichols and Josh Hess. Received about 28,000 views on Twitter within 30 minutes of that final out. It's pretty dynamite. Not sure if it made the Sports Center top 10 because I don't have cable and I can't watch ESPN. Like I mentioned, this is a four game set before Lake County comes in for four. The Dragons look to win another one to at least secure a split in that four-game series. A big split. The Hot Rods do not have a projected starter yet, or probable starter. Is it projected or probable? It's one of those two. But I mentioned Connor Curlis, who has pitched quite well. The former Ohio State Buckeye will go on the mound. He's 3-3, three and three and his ERA is just a little over 3 at 3.02. You can catch all the games on 980 WONE or this weekend, Saturday, Sunday. They're on TV on Dayton's The CW. Oh, I'm sorry, Dayton's CW. Or if you want to split hairs, the logo looks like Dayton's C the W. Maybe that's intentional. 
Anyway, that's your look at the Reds and Dragons as we step aside for a break here on the Gem on the Queen's Crown. The Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast will come back and talk a little bit of soccer. What's going on, guys? Grant Pushcart here, joined by my co-director, Victor Williams. Are you looking to bring more attention to your sports content? Over at Overtime Heroics, you can be a part of a growing sports community such as podcasts like my own, Cleveland Surge, and my own Philly Special Podcast. And if you're looking for a place to share your sports opinions, they also have an active forum for all sports topics. So if you want your sports content to be heard amongst other sports fans, go over to Overtime Heroics forward slash forums and make your first hot take today. Hey listeners, did you know that you can buy gear supporting the local Sunday Sports Podcast? Visit the LeeWMallon.com slash podcast, then click on Buy Podcast Merchandise, made by T Public. You can get shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and even stickers. Check out the local Sunday Sports gear by T Public. Hey folks, this is Lee W. Mowen of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and I'm here to tell you about Anchor, the easiest way of making a podcast. Anchor is completely free and gives you everything you need in one easy place on your desktop or mobile device. Anchor includes creation tools to make your podcast sound great, including the newly featured background music option. Anchor also takes care of the heavy lifting by getting your podcast out to the major platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and even more. You can also make some money with your podcast with no minimum listenership required. What are you waiting for? Create your podcast by downloading the Anchor app in the App Store or on Google Play, or visit anchor.fm to get started. Anchor.fm, the host of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. I'm Ty Yeager, and I want to introduce you to the Rise Up Podcast community, a community for podcasters created by podcasters, dedicated to the promotion and growth of podcasts everywhere. Rise Up is not a network. There are no contracts and no control over your content, just a vessel for you to spread the word of your work and connect with fellow podcasters to collaborate, create, and promote. And guess what? It doesn't cost you a single cent to join the community. Join the Rise Up Podcast community today by visiting our website at bit.ly slash community and follow the community on Twitter at rupodcommunity. Again, that's bit.ly slash community and at rupodcommunity on Twitter. Come and join the community of podcasts and rise up with us. Rise Up Podcast Community. Hi, everybody. I hope you enjoy the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Did you know you can get paid just for listening to this podcast? I just discovered this free new app called PodCoin, and it literally pays you to listen to podcasts. Here's how it works. You listen to podcasts, and you earn PodCoin while you listen on the app. Then you turn that PodCoin in for gift cards for Amazon, Starbucks, and more locations... Or you can even take the pod coin and donate it to charity. The more you listen, the more you earn. Here's what you do. You download the app right now for free in the App Store or on Google Play. And simply use my code CINCYSPORT with two eyes, And you'll get 300 pod coins just for signing up. So go ahead. Listen to this podcast or any podcast on PodCoin. And sign up with the code CINCYSPORT with two eyes. It's changing the way people listen to podcasts. Podcoin. You know how I mentioned there's soccer that's going to be talked about? 
there is, but let's talk a little bit more baseball first. There is a champion that's been crowned, and it is the Lima Locals. For the third time in five years, Lima has taken the Great Lakes title. They took the best of three series against the Licking County Settlers by winning the only game at Licking County 7-0, but dropped the first game at Lima 9-6 to the Settlers. And then last night, it was Locals 5, Settlers 3, and that gave Lima their third title in the last five years. I mentioned the Locos are the oldest franchise in the Great Lakes, and they're top of Grand Lake by a year, I believe, but definitely one of the most successful teams in the Great Lakes. Congrats go out to Lima, and a congrats goes out to the Settlers for making this far. The semifinals, well, both these teams swapped their opponents. Lima took the first two from the Muskegon Clippers, 9-6 Nine to six at Lima, three to one at Muskegon, and Licking County took both against the Cincinnati Steam. Nine to five at Licking County, which is Newark, and three to one in Cincinnati. So both sweeps, but nice best of three series for the title. Now this is the end of the Licking County Settlers. I know that's not Miami Valley, that's not Cincinnati, that'd be Central Ohio and Columbus. But the Licking County Settlers will play on as the Ohio Bison next year. The There's a new logo. You can find it at a Great Lakes website. It is kind of like a very darkened teal and a pale gold quality. Think Jacksonville Jaguar colors, if you will. And they're going to be called the Ohio Bison. The Settlers were red, white, and blue, and a logo of the Settlers. The name Ohio Bison is based off a former semi-pro team that played at Don Edwards Park back in 1994-95, where the Newark Buffaloes and Bison had a 26-35 record in 94 and a 39-29 record back in 1995. After the 95 season, the team was sold in 96 and moved to Kalamazoo, where they became the Kalamazoo Kodiaks. They would bounce around a couple of cities, London, Ontario, Canada, Canton, Ohio, USA, and Columbia, Missouri, USA, before that franchise would play the last game in 2005. I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of the change. The bison part, I like. I do like the bison. I like the logo. I like the color scheme. It's something that's not quite used a lot. I say that very, very, very Italianized quotes, but it's, I mean, think about it. I mentioned Jacksonville. Whatever team uses teal and gold. Can't really think of any off the top of my head. I'd say Charlotte, but no, there's no gold for the Hornets. So there you go. The part I don't like is the team's going to call himself the Ohio Bison. Okay, are you going to play in various parks around Ohio as the home team? I mean, I mentioned this several times in my podcast, Indiana Pacers. They were named because their original plan was to play in various places in Indiana. That's why it's not the Indianapolis Pacers. Colts, that's why it's Indianapolis. That's 
they represent. I'm not, I've never been a big fan of that. I mean, the Ohio machine, yeah, I get it. It's the only, it was the only lacrosse team, pro lacrosse team in Ohio. So I, I get that. But the thing is, Great Lakes is mainly based in Ohio. You got Cincinnati, Hamilton, Lima, Grand Lake and Salina, Xenia. You got a couple Ohio teams in the Great Lakes. If it's stuck with Licking County or Newark, this wouldn't be a topic. I wouldn't talk about it. I'm just not a big fan of the Ohio part of the name. It, The press release states that this merger comes as a direct result of the positive relationships that the Licking County family YMCA, Licking County settlers, and the city of Newark have formed over their time working together. Like I mentioned, the Bison name is based off a team that played there in the mid-90s, and the organizations hope to serve more than just Licking County, which, again, is Newark, Granville. I don't understand why Licking County still couldn't be a part of it. Licking County's a pretty big county. I've been there a couple times for the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association All-Star Game. Last few years, there was a uh, Denison. I was going to say Granville U, but that's not right. I'm sorry. So good luck goes out to this new Ohio Bison team. It's the last time the Settlers will be known as that. They could not clinch their fourth Great Lakes title. Fifth time in the championship series. They won three out of four. Now three out of five times. Back to back. Two back in 2012, 2013, 2014. It's the first time the Settlers have made it since 2014. And Lima prevented that from happening. So, like I said, good luck goes out to all the Great Lakes teams and best of luck for 2020. I'll be here before you know it. The Lima Locals are your 2019 Great Lakes Summer Collegiate League champions. And while we're talking summer ball, the season is winding down for the Prospect League, and there's a new team on top in the East. That would be the Chillicothe Paints, who are 35-18 and 18 and a half game up over second place Danville. The Dans are now 34-18, and 18, half game back, but three and a half up on the Terre Haute Rex at 31-22. Lafayette in fourth place in the East, 28-24. That's Lafayette, Indiana. The champion City Kings in Springfield, 23-29 and 1-9 in the last 10. 11 and a half back at Chillicothe. And West Virginia in sixth place. The Miners are 18-35 and 17 back. And in the West, it's Cape, DuPage, Quincy, Hannibal, Normal, Springfield. As opposed to not normal Springfield, Illinois. In the West, Cape still leads all by six games over DuPage. Quincy, 10 back. Hannibal, 17 back. Normal, 21 back. And Springfield, Illinois, 29 and a half back. And these sliders are 0-10 in their last 10. Season's winding down the Prospect League. I'm still buzzing about the one game I filled in at Champion City. I mentioned it 106, I believe. I'm 
I'm, I, I really had a great time, and I really enjoyed meeting everyone there. So, the playoffs will start shortly. Well, how shortly, you ask? How about Thursday, August the 8th? There's one game in the divisional playoffs. It's hosted by the regular season division winner. And then the championship series is a best of three. The first game is hosted by the team with lesser regular season record. Whoever doesn't have the best record. And then games two and three will be hosted by the better regular season record. Is lesser a good word or not? Eh, heck of it. So, one game, August the 8th, it will be against the regular season division winners and the wild card spots. Again, there's four teams that make it, and two go to the championship. One wins, the other doesn't. That's how sports work, right? So, Chilla Coffee might pull through and knock Danville off the top just long enough to have a playoff game in Chilla Coffee. But if Danville holds that wild card spot, the Dan's have really a solid team and in fact going back to the episode where I was really happy about filling in for the Kings I mentioned that Danville their roster has all division one baseball kids and most of them in power fives so that's pretty impressive and yes I know Chilla Coffee again not in the Miami Valley not in Cincinnati area but it's close enough where I talk about the paints that and I like Chilla Coffee too I like seeing Chilla Coffee when I had my internship with the Richmond River Rats. So there you go. We'll talk about one more baseball thing, and then we'll get into soccer, I promise. Now, I think I mentioned this. I mentioned this on a previous recording in that first part of the episode. This is from Bill Baer of NBC Sports. The Pittsburgh Pirates have an anger problem. That's not a great problem to have. And yes, it's talking about the fight last night. Tuesday night's benches-clearing brawl between the Pirates and Reds was not the first time this year that the two clubs had a disagreement. In April, the Pirates didn't like Derek Dietrich admiring his own home run, so Chris Archer threw behind Dietrich the next time he came to the plate. The benches emptied, leading to one of the best baseball pictures ever taken. And yes, it's one of the best. I heard, was it Yasiel Puig that got a framed? <laughs> it's just Puig taking on a entire Pittsburgh Pirates squad. You just see the golden tops. Great jerseys, by the way. I love them. And you see the Reds and the Red Alternatives. Great jerseys again. It's a beautiful picture. I'm agreeing with Bill Bear. That is probably one of the best baseball pictures ever taken. Granted, it's probably not one of the best events it's taken, but hey, you work what you get with. The two incidents are actually part of a longer tread for the Pirates, in which their thirst for revenge has escalated into Benches clearing incidents. Here's a likely incomplete list of the benches clearing incidents involving the Pirates dating back to 2015. Each date links to a post we wrote about the incident so you can read the whole story. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the first one is August 2nd, 2015, where it's, I believe it's Tony Watson. There's a Troy Watson for Lansing Lodnuts. I don't want to mix up the two. Watson plunks Brandon Phillips benches clear. I remember that. September 25th, 2016, Washington at Pittsburgh. Benches clear after ball thrown behind. That's not the complete title, I promise. Cole at Pitt. Rockies, Pirates, benches clear after HBP. That's hit by pitch. 
May 30th, 2018. Bench is clear, and I can't read the title because it's right where Pirates' white pants are. Pirates are in their black alternatives, a jersey that I like very well as well. White jerseys are awesome. Remind me of Cincinnati's white jerseys back before the Steamboat font, but... Here's June 26, 2018. Benches clear in New York. That's the Mets hosting the Pirates. April 7, 2019. The whole Derek Dietrich admiring his home run and Archer didn't liking it. So there you go. June 10th, 2019. Tempers flare. Benches clear in Atlanta. It's the Braves hosting Pittsburgh. July 30th, 2019. Reds and Pirates in Cincinnati. Bill Bear mentions he searched the posts that he made there. You can go watch the videos. There's footage of all of them. Since the start of the 2015 regular season, using the phrases benches clear, benches empty, and tempers flare, which are common phrases used for such incidents. And actually, the data goes well further about benches clearing. If you set the date to May 30th of last year, the Pirates have been involved in five of 14 incidents, which is about 36% of them. If you raise the date back up, the Pirates are involved in nine of them, 20% of the 45. Rangers have been involved in eight, which is one less than Pittsburgh, followed by the Cubs and Giants at seven. And it goes through the list, starting from last night's Reds-Pirates game. Two days ago, it was A's against the Rangers. Reds-Cubs happened June 29th. Cubs-Braves June 25th. You get the idea. There's a Red Sox-Yankees game where the bench is empty twice. I don't think that was the London series, but there you go. There's a lot of fights involving the benches. And that fight, by the way, David Bell, who was already ejected a little bit earlier, came back out and defended his players. Say what you want about David Bell, his managerial structure, his choices, his double switches... The man defends his team, and I admire that. You might think, eh, he's fighting. No, that's not good. No, it's not, but he's defending his team. I admire the defending part. I think there was a time where Puig, his helmet fell. Apparently, it slipped out of his hands, and the umpire was ready to chuck him out of the ballpark. But then David Bell comes in, he gets himself ejected, and Puig lives... I think he drove in a run with a fielder's choice in that at-bat, but you get the idea. A lot of people are pointing fingers at Clint Hurdle on this. I mean, Hurdle's been there for a while now. I forget when Pittsburgh hired him. It's It's been a couple years now. David Bell mentions to C. Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic... It's a shame that's allowed and they're able to get away with it. They celebrate it. They support. They clearly allow it. I don't know if they teach, but they allow it. It's dangerous. And he also was asked if his comment included Clint Hurdle, the Pirates skip. He's the manager. That's been going on all year. It's bigger than baseball at this point. People you care about. Their health is put jeopardy and nothing is done about it. We suffer for it. Garrett was the one that really lit the fire in that brawl. Amir Garrett took responsibility for his actions. Again, you can not like the fact there was a fight. That's fine. I'm not a big fight guy myself. I say as I broadcast hockey, and that's one thing I do miss about high school hockey. There's no fights, but that's a good thing. 
They're high school kids. They shouldn't fight. Garrett took responsibility for his actions after Tuesday's game. And in the article, it's mentioning he should be fined and suspended by Major League Baseball. As is Kayla, Jared Hughes of Cincinnati, and Yasiel Puig at minimum. Now Puig's in Cleveland, so that'd be an interesting way to start helping out your tribe be suspended. Though other players may be guilty of their own immoral actions, the Pirates have a clear history of instigating and exasperating conflicts with other teams since 2015. I don't remember We Are Family's team being, you know, get revenge on everyone. That was a really solid team. I think Roberto Clemente is just shaking his head on that. It's probably my favorite pirate. Yeah. So another brawl. There's a lot of brawls this year. I I don't have a pinpoint accuracy explanation why, nor am I calling out Pittsburgh for being dirty. This podcast is not meant to do that. It's meant to talk about Cincinnati Dane sports. You can have your own opinion. That's great. That's fine. This podcast has never been about trying to turn opinions. It's trying to say, hey, there's great sports around here, and it's not just Ohio State or the Cleveland Browns. But there you go. Wow. And the rubber match is going to go on in about 10 minutes. It's funny that the longest part of this isn't so much the recording and talking into a mic. It's actually waiting for the file to save and then building it, then everything like that. So there you go. So enough about that. You can form your own thoughts on that. You can curse at me. That's fine. I've heard worse. And now let's talk soccer. The 2019 MLS All-Star Match at Orlando City is happening tonight where the Orlando City head coach, James O'Connor, has selected his starting 11. And for you fans of the crew and FC Cincinnati, there's none representing the starting 11. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, if I butcher the names, let me know. Don't laugh at me too much. Latin. Abrahamovic, you might know him from Premier League days. He's uh he's pretty awesome still. He's one of three players who have scored a combined five hundred goals for club and country with Messi and Ronaldo. I think those players are doing okay. Yeah, he's pretty awesome with LA Galaxy. Joseph Martinez of Atlanta United, Wayne Rooney of DC United, also a former MOS time, and first all star game selection. For DC United. That's quite cool. I like Wayne Rooney. Carlos Vela of LAFC. That's the Los Angeles Football Club. He's a forward from the San Jose Earthquakes. Chris Wondolowski. Ezekiel Barkle of Atlanta United. Now we're getting into midfielders. Along with Diego Chara of Portland. Jonathan Dos Santos of the LA Galaxy. Mark Anthony Kay of LAFC. And Nicolas Lodero of Seattle. Okay, this name is spelled Pity, but I'm pretty sure it's Pite Martinez of Atlanta United. And Maxi Morales of New York City FC. And Nani of Orlando City SC. We have Paxson Pomichael of FC Dallas. Alejandro Pozzello of Toronto FC. Diego Rossi of LAFC. Round up the midfielders. There's a lot of them. And now for the defenders, Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez of Atlanta United, Matt Hedges of FC Dallas, 
Kemar Lawrence of the New York Red Bulls, Romain Metternier of Minnesota United. Again, if I butcher the names, just correct me, then laugh quietly. Bastian Schweinsteiger of the Chicago Fire and Walker Zimmerman of LAFC, followed by Graham Zussi of Sporting Kansas City. And your goalies are Andre Blake of the Philadelphia Union, Brad Guzan of Atlanta United, and Nick Rimando of Real Salt Lake. Now, why am I telling you all this if there's no crew or FC Cincinnati members on there? Because it's part of the game. It's happening tonight, by the way. And like I mentioned, it's at Orlando City. And it will be against Atletico de Madrid. With the MOS All-Star Game, it's not East versus West. For the longest time, it's been All-Stars from the East and West battling one foreign foe. This year, it's Atletico de Madrid. So your schedule for the All-Star match. No tickets required for the soccer celebration presented by Tide. That's at 3.30 Exploria Stadium at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. It's live right now. It's the Special Olympics Unified Sports All-Star Soccer Match presented by MLS Works and ESPN. That might have ended just now. It was on ESPN 3. And the MLS All-Star Game, that's not soccer, it's match. Come on, MLS. The All-Star Match presented by Target. Target Dog. Sorry, I like that slogan. By Target, it is at Exploria Stadium at 8. And that's happening tonight. Along with a lot of other things. There was a skills contest I saw. But now I don't see it, so I think I'm just making it up. It is Atletico de Madrid versus the MLS All-Stars. I do like how they do it. It's at 8 tonight. You can watch it on FS1. I like that. I mean, All-Star games, you have East versus West. That's pretty much the standard. This one mixes it up where you show the best of what the top level has to offer in the States and Canada. And show what you have against... Some of the top foes across the pond, maybe in Central or South America. I do like it. Will I catch it? I have to work, so no. But I will keep my eyes out on it. Now, however, I mentioned there's no crew nor FC Cincinnati members on the All-Star team. There is a homegrown game starring 11, and there is a crew. And this happened yesterday. Before this episode ends, I'll try to get a score on that. This is the 2019 homegrown game starting 11. There is a defender from the Columbus crew, and Abubakar Kita, number five for the crew, the lone member out of both Ohio teams. They're taking on the Shifas U20 roster. Well, were, like I said, that was yesterday. And they were led by Marcelo Nevareff, the Orlando City SC Academy director. And your score after full time was 2-2. It also says Guadalajara U-20. Although on the website it's Chivas U-20. But MLS homegrown wins in penalties 3-0. Omar Fernandez, Noble Okello will score two goals. There's a goal listed in the first minute but no name for the U-20 squad. And Sebastian Martinez 
gives the U-20 squad a 2-1 lead in the 70th minute. The homegrown squad had 62% of the possession. That's good. Pass accuracy at 84%. I think that's good. That sounds about good. It's better than I ever do. 12 shots by MLS homegrown, and three are on target. Five corners for MLS homegrown. An offside each, one yellow card each, and nine fouls committed by MLS homegrown compared to U-20's 14. I think growing the game is a wonderful idea, and I love seeing that. Hopefully that becomes a bigger thing. You know, bigger where I actually know about it before talking about it and realizing, oh, it was yesterday, and then making myself sound like an idiot. But that is a positive thing, not me sounding like an idiot, as we go into the Cincinnati Bengals to wrap up episode 108. And by now, you've already heard A.J. Green got injured at Welcome Stadium. And players were already pointing at Welcome Stadium saying the field sucks. Oy vey. Actually, I wrote down in my uh, script, who day? More like oy vey. Uh, the season is going to get underway shortly, and I've, I feel like I've tried to stay optimistic, but that keeps getting... Taken down a notch. With AJ Green's injury, it was reported that he's still trying to get back for week one, and now it seems like AJ Green might miss a few games. And now there's no timetable on Green's injury. This article is written Sunday, July 28th by Jeff Hobson, a senior writer. And it shows the Bengals holding the first practice of training camp at Paul Brown Stadium in front of 7,500. Zach Taylor, his first year as head coach, taking over the long-tenured Marvin Lewis. He found himself answering questions about injuries. Anyone confirm reports that franchise player A.J. Green would miss six to eight weeks with torn ligaments in his left ankle. You know how I've tried to stay optimistic and positive about the Reds? Bengals, you're making it tough. (sighs) We'll be lucky if we get to five wins, won't we? This is a short little blurb from FantasyPros.com. From Ian Rappaport on Twitter, AJ Green underwent what is described as a minor ankle procedure Tuesday morning, meaning he's going to stay off his feet for a while. The fantasy impact, Green's timetable still remains the same, and the ankle procedure is being portrayed as a cleanup. It's safe to assume he will miss all training camp and the entire preseason, but he's still hopeful to be ready as the regular season begins. This is from Tuesday, so yesterday. I've seen reports where A.J. Green could miss four to six weeks in the regular season. I've seen he'll come back for week one. I don't know what to believe anymore. All I know is... This sucks. AJ Green is the top right receiver for Cincinnati. I've really liked him since he's put on the stripes for the Bengals. And as of late, Green's starting to get the injury bug nipping at him and staying with him. And it's been, it's been a big thing for the Bengals as of late. Just injuries atop of injuries. And then there goes your depth and then injuries. Forget the fantasy football aspect on it. If you like fantasy football, good. 
I play it too, not for money, just for fun. So I can say, hey, I won a championship. Can I put this on my resume? Ha ha ha. This is a person's life, and now it's starting to build up. I mean, once you get injured, the fun doesn't start. Because let's be honest, getting injured's not fun. And as someone that's not an athlete and tries not to critique athletes so much because I can't do most of what they're doing, that's tough. And uh, it's it's hard. It, it sucks that it happened to begin with. It sucks that it happened in Dayton. And it sucks that people are pointing the finger at Welcome Stadium because that turf is fine. And you know what? They checked it out before having the event in Dayton. So you can't really blame the turf on that. I don't know what to believe on that. And I feel bad because, you know what? Injuries happen. But I feel like they're happening a lot more because there's a couple key pieces that are going down across teams. I mean, look at the Giants. They're whew, This is the New York Giants, not San Fran Giants. Look at the New York Giants. Whew. They're getting injured. And it's tough. But this one stings. And if you look on Twitter, if you search A.J. Green, it mentions that A.J. Green will miss multiple regular season games from sports underscore creep. Well, that's a good, that's a good username, sports creep. Sorry, sports underscore creep. I don't care that it affects his fancy football standings. I want to see A.J. Green healthy and torch defenses and get the Bengals a shot. That's all I want to see. Now, who's to say that's going to happen? I'm not saying he's wiped out the entire season. Don't get me wrong. But for the Bengals, you need to get started on the right foot. This is not starting on the right foot. It's a shame it happened in Dayton because it's a celebration of, you know, that first NFL game that I was telling you about back in 1920. 100 years of NFL... It's a long time. I don't think A.J. Green misses the season, but mm, it's not looking too great for the start. I mean, heck, this year, Jonah Williams, he won't be able to contribute. He's out for the year. I don't know what to expect out of the Bengals. I feel like eight wins would be really pushing it, but I'd be happy with eight and eight. Be happy with seven and nine. I was going to say seven and eight, but that doesn't make sense. So we'll see how it goes, but yeah, I hate to end episode 108 on a really grim, grim note. I do want to say congratulations to Beaver Creek Girls Soccer. They were honored last night, the Dragons game, for their state title. I mean, what a run they had. And a week ago, the Chaminade Julian baseball team was honored for their second straight state title in D3 baseball. That's huge. And hopefully that will cheer you up as I close out episode 108 on a happier note. If there's any more trades, we'll talk about them next week. And we'll call it the second with the trade. You know. Because this episode's called The One with the Trade, and that's a reference of Friends, which, by the way, watch on Netflix until 
it's pulled off and goes to, what is it, HBO Max, HBO Now, a new streaming service that Warner Brothers is starting. Yeah, watch it on Netflix. Do that. But there you go. Friends reference and a great way to end episode 108. Again, ask questions from Alan's mailbag. Find me. Ask me questions. There you go. Made really easy. Until episode 109, this is Lee W. Mallon of the Gem of the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. This episode wasn't supposed to be this long, but it became this long. Talk to you soon. for listening to another episode of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Closing theme is Leveled Up by Bad Snacks from YouTube via royalty-free music, no copyright music group. Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, CastBox, Anchor, and more. Follow along on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown and at the Lee W. Mowen and on Facebook by liking the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast page and become a member of the Facebook group, Fans of the Local Sunday Sports Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. This is Lee W. Mowen saying goodbye and please join us again for another new episode of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.